0: Hello friends, Josh Bow and Kirk Henderson coming to you with an off-season edition of Mavs Moneyball After Dark. Josh, how are you?
1: Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, Not the way I want to end my holiday weekend with some stuff going on in my personal life, but we will not bore our listeners with that. But all things considered, good health. Everything's going good. Can't complain otherwise.
0: I have a sweet, sweet sunburn from spending way too much time at the pool. (laughs) Um... But so, you know, now that we're kind of in like the slow, the slow part of the offseason, like there's kind of two lulls, um, you know, anything kind of before the draft uh, and then before free agency. And since both of those things like happen in rapid succession, we've got about four weeks until free agency kicks off. But but then even around that, there's the Olympics. And then after like the Olympics and draft, we kind of have like another month um, um, between when, you know. training camp and stuff kicks off in like mid-september to late september so with that in mind um before we kind of dive into the free agency stuff a little later josh and i want to give it a couple more weeks just because he and i i don't know i'm just gonna speak for both of us i don't really like the speculative part because i'm really bad at it like it's our friend Dalton like loves just like coming up with with scenarios and like for me it just turns me into a crazy person so I don't really want to talk about it until we get more kind of concrete stuff in mind that said if you're if you're listening to this podcast uh, starting on Wednesday on on MadsMoneyball.com, we will be kind of rolling out kind of free agency profiles where we've talk to our staff and we want people to write on whoever they want to write about because this is the only part in of a year where you can really write about non-Mavericks players um so so we're kind of encouraging that now with that in mind what we wanted to do uh we wanted to do this one when, when was actually happening when we were writing kind of our player reviews uh uh, over on the site but then what happened was the Mavericks fell apart uh and had all sorts of news and we had to talk about the news (laughs) and so now that we've kind of had a little bit of a break I really I kind of think it's for the best because I think we can can look back you know kind of with clear eyes understanding that we have a new front office and new coach uh coming in and we can talk about the team that that was and, and you know talk about like they're they're kind of and what that might mean for these guys going forward with kind of that in mind, which I think is is a little you know it's it nice in the sense of it, it it we can be a little more forward thinking. um And if you've read the title, we're going to talk about three guys today, and we're kind of go through going to go through guys and um, chunks of three until we make it through all of the roster, at least all of the roster that we feel like talking about. um So today we're going to talk about Luka Doncic, uh, Maxi Kleba, and Trey Burke, um, and and probably. Maybe we'll just do that order. Um, so, so Josh, let's let's just like kind of start with Luca. Like, what what more can like <laughs> what, 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 what do you do for a guy who hits his uh, second first All NBA team in his third year? Um, make free throws. I, I guess that's <laughs>
1: about make free throws and, and be and be a better defender. I mean, those are like the two very obvious things. Um, the free throw stuff is just I don't. You know, we can talk. There's nothing really we can say. It's like, you know, make them like, I don't know. I don't know what we You know, There's no strategy. There's no there's no opinion you can have other than he's just that's just got to be something he has to fix. Um, I mean, he hasn't shot 80 percent for a seat. You know, he was 71 his rookie year, 75 last season, 73 this season. And we saw in the playoffs, it didn't look good either. Uh, so he's just got to fix that. And then defensively, you know, I think we both know that he's not going to be an all level, uh, defensive player just because of how much is expected of him on the offensive end. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only so much a guy that get has so much of an offensive load. There's only so much he can do defensively unless, you know, unless you're like a, uh, a LeBron type, you know, God-like player. Uh, so you know, the other big thing I think that we both can agree on, and this is something like that we feel is tangible, and we just don't know when it's going to happen, is he needs to be in better shape mm-hmm. and not trying to say, you know, he's not a good athlete because he is a good athlete right now. But it's obvious that there is some room to grow in terms of his conditioning and, and how he treats his body. And before you get mad and run to the comments and to talk about why we're hating on Luca, his one of his favorite veteran teammates, JJ Brea has said this like out loud into a public podcast that Luca doesn't take training as seriously as he should, because you know, when you've been, as amazing at basketball as he's been at every stop of his life since he's been basically been 13, you know, the training part doesn't necessarily come into focus because it's kind of like, well, I'm already, the, you know, I'm already great. What do I need to, you know, obsessively work out every day for because I'm already all NBA and doing all this and I dominate and I won League and I won the MVP, like all this crazy stuff. So it's that part might not happen this, this offseason because of the Olympics and he's still fairly young, but event like that light bulb will eventually click. Uh, because he's eventually going to reach a spot where there's nothing left on the court to improve. And if he keeps running into a wall, he's going to realize, okay, well now it's time to focus on my body in a way that I haven't done before. Uh, And I think, you know, so we'll see when that happens, but that's definitely something he could work on.
0: Well, so we kind of jumped ahead and I probably should should have specified this to a degree. So what, you know, without having to get too deep into stats and feel free if you kind of can quickly pull them up, what things did he do in year three that he didn't do in year two? Or rather, what did he improve upon in, in, year, in year three versus year two? And then what do you think he might have sort of taken a step back on, if anything?
1: Uh, well, I don't have I'm, – I'm pulling up the numbers right now, but I can tell you off the top of my head. I mean, we both know this. Uh, his mid-range
0: game was
1: vastly improved. Uh, I mean, I think
0: it's almost under-discussed about yeah. how – Absolutely ridiculous, he was where the mid-range, and this gets talked about, and people who listen to this podcast probably realize this, but the mid-range is the most sort of inefficient shot in basketball. The only players who really take them are the best players in basketball, your Kawhi Leonards, uh, now your Luka Doncic's, and and Dirk Dirk sort of broke our our, our understanding of how the mid-range game works. And uh it was I think it was Jake Kemp who posted this at some point during the year where it was like Luca just decided to become good at the most difficult area of, of basketball shots. And good is really an understatement. He was elite in in the in the mid-range to the to the point to where it really sort of erased his lack of efficiency at the rim because the Dallas didn't have a rim roller for most of the year. He he in and, and I'm it was just kind of wild. I mean, the mid-range stuff continues to blow my mind about how he went from from being kind of not like a liability but if he took a long jumper it was a win and now the shot is just so butter that I'm not sure how like he's he's become in his third year as indefensible as anyone in the league
1: yeah I've got him loaded up now and it's crazy uh so last season uh he was 20 of 57 from what nba.com classifies as the mid range area, which is basically outside of the paint inside of the three point line. So 20 of 57, 35.1%. This season, he was 89 of 183. Uh, So not only a dramatic increase in attempts and makes, but he was 48.6% shooting from mid range. So uh, just kind of like a a crazy jump uh, that is, Probably hard to quantify, you know, across, you know, historically. But I think another really important part of that improvement is not just the mid-range, but the shots in the paint outside of the restricted area. Last season, he was 41%. This season or this past season, he was fifty percent. So was really good around the basket, but not right at the basket. Like that was is
0: that kind of like the is that kind of like the ten foot range, like a step inside the free throw line kind of area.
1: Yeah, it's all of the paint that's not the restricted area. So outside of the restricted circle, but still in the paint. So yeah, all the right around the free throw. All his floaters, all around the free throw line. His little turnaround, you know, hook shots off the glass that he would he would shoot his up and unders, a lot of that kind of stuff, uh, uh-huh. the floater game especially. Like that was that was it. You know, when he would have a defender on his back in the pick and roll, the Chris Paul move, and he would kind of just keep keep that defender on his back, and then the big man would be in front of him guarding the rim, and then he would just hit that little you know that little one handed push shot floater. That's where that fifty percent uh, improvement came from. So that part was was pretty that's a pretty remarkable improvement. Not just like, I mean, in volume alone, I mean, good Lord, he shot 50. I know it was a shortened season, but he shot 57 mid range shots in 2019, 2020. And to go from that to one eighty-three last season and improve the efficiency by as much as he did is like, it, it's pretty clear that when he was in the gym last off season, when he had the opportunities to be in the gym, like that was the focus. like it was obviously that was the focus. Cause he wanted to be, I'm sure he wanted to be a three-level scorer because that's what you have to do to be in the playoffs because guys are going to – good defenses are going to take away the rim. They're going to take away your threes. They're going to want you to shoot those shots. So he probably – that was probably a focus for him.
0: Yeah, yeah. And his three-point percentage took a – I could be wrong on this, so I hope someone tells me if I'm wrong. But he went from shooting uh, his rookie season 32.7% from three – 31.6% from 3 up to an even 35% this last year. Uh and I feel like a 3.4% increase with the kind of volume that he takes is a, is a statistically significant number. Um he he shot fa- nearly 553s this season. And to go from where he was where it's really, you know, 3% over over the course of 500 shots is something like like it's either like nine or 15 more makes over the course of the season. So like, we're not talking like an, like an insane number, but it's, it's enough. Well, no, it really is. So it, 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 it ends up being just looking at the numbers. He had 192 makes in the regular season in this past season. And then 19 and 20, he had 171 makes. So it's, it's the sort of thing to where, you know, the volume, he actually shot fewer volume per game, which was interesting to me. Um, 8.9 in his second year and 8.3 in his, in his third year which i feel like seven to eight threes a game is about right for luca uh there was some concern at certain points of the year when he was shooting north of like 10 shots a game that he was just getting lazy and i think that those concerns were uh, valid because as we saw like you know going back to your kind of what he needs to improve upon he is not in good enough shape and doesn't consistently bring the heat. Uh, the Mavericks had the fourth best record against playoff teams in the entire league. And yet I bet mirror uh, image wise, uh, the Mavericks had the worst record against sub 10 teams. I bet it, it's gotta be one of the worst because they just lost to so many horrendous teams. And part of that is because Luca just doesn't bring it every game. But I am thinking about that in relation to the shooting because You know, he's going to be the offensive, offensive uh, engine. And as we saw against the playoffs and the Clippers, when he really decides to care and brings it, he is a absolute hurricane. There's just nothing like him outside of maybe a young LeBron.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, I think we've seen his playoff line. I think he's over the course of two playoff series, like 32 points like nine and eight on really good shooting and it's just really funny like even going into the last playoffs like he was not a good three-point shooter the season you know, the first season in the playoffs and so that he kind of just kind of brought it like he just kind of rises to the moment but talking about the three-point percentage I wanted to get back to that he did make a big leap I think something that's going to be really curious to see this season is he got that improvement basically for two months mm-hmm. basically 20 20- no off offseason right yeah. 22 games is what really bolstered that three-point shooting. In February, he shot 43.5% from three. In March, he shot 43.3% from three. Every other month outside of that, he was 33 or lower. Uh, Mm. December, he was 9%. Uh, January, he was 33. April, he was 31. And May, he was uh, 29, or basically 30, 29.9. So I'm curious if he can be a little bit more sustainable with his shot. And I wonder if that goes, you know, kind of goes back to conditioning because when he was shooting 9% in December, that's when he looked, I mean, physically, he looked awful. Like, I think that was the worst we've seen him look physically since we've been following him playing professional basketball his whole life. Uh, and that goes back to, you know, taking the training seriously. And, and, and you know, I think that's that same month as when JJ J. Bray was on that podcast. So we'll mm-hmm. see if that, if that helps, you know, if his conditioning helps with improve other parts of his game, like his jumper and makes him more consistent throughout the year. And, and yeah, like you said, bringing it on the games that are not on TNT, you know, playing uh, Memphis on, on, on a Wednesday night uh, on the second night of a back-to-back, you know, if he's playing, like, those are the games that you just, you need them. Uh, you, every game is important as we've seen uh, this past season. Like, you know, they were able to manage to get to the fifth seed despite all that went wrong because they kind of turned it on at the end. You know, there's just when you look at a season, even despite how long it is, like you can look back and like one or two games can be the difference between being in the play-in tournament or you know maybe ho- even hosting home court. So you're right 100%. about he's got he's got to bring it every game.
0: <sighs> well, we could probably talk about Luca forever. Otherwise, but, I mean everything's
1: everything's I mean, great. mean it's, right?
0: it's, <laughs> it's preposterous. The only thing that I'm going to be curious to see is with some of the rule changes how that affects his free throws. Um, Luca didn't shot you know, fewer free throws in a major way this year. Uh, he didn't get as many calls. So I'm, I'm curious. Maybe the rule changes won't affect him as much. He really, I, I just, I don't understand how he's called. Um, actually, that's not true. I believe that his call, how he gets refed is a direct byproduct of how, how he simply will not ever shut the fuck up. And he's just, that that's something that we talked about last year and he's going to have to work on because it, it caught up to him in a real way. I mean, against the Clippers in seven games in, in 2019, 2020, I'm sorry. In six games, he shot almost 11 free throws a game against the very same Clippers team. He shot 7.3 free throws a game like that's that's silly that's there's there's a real there's there's a line there and, and that's just playoffs let alone the regular season stuff and he's gonna have to figure some of this out uh you know where where he needs to let you know jason kidd or cuban or someone else do some of the talking for him i mean the the i always kind of expected rick Carlisle to kind of blow up about it just you know take a fine and make it make it a thing and it just never happened and and you know <sighs> That that just that'll be a thing I'm I'm very interested in next year because you know he's got to find a way to get easier baskets um and this his third year was his year of you know probably his most difficult baskets uh, uh you know out of three seasons so
1: yeah and uh, part of that I think also go you know I, I don't want to tie everything back to conditioning but I think me and you have noted that you know. In addition to everything I agree with you, everything about the free throws and how he gets refed, uh, because of, you know, how he treats officials. I think another side of that coin is also, you know, he doesn't get he didn't get to the rim as often mm-hmm. uh, this past season. And I think a lot of it is he didn't have necessarily the same burst we saw in the bubble or at times last season. And maybe part of that is burst or part of that is the, uh, the dynamics of the floor spacing was different without a without a rim roller uh, consistently all year uh and not you know he didn't have the the pick and roll or pick and pop threats that he had in 2019 2020 so maybe that's part of it but you know there were a couple times there were a couple moments even in the playoffs or in some games where me like we would talk in slack and be like man he's he's struggling to get by guys right now like uh, and you know he has to pull up and shoot that floater because he doesn't have the extra gear to to get to get to the basket now that's not you know he still is great and efficient and like it goes back to yeah easier baskets because those floaters as great as he is some of those are really contested mm-hmm. so it you know that'll be huge for him uh, if he can if he can get back to where he was in 2019 2020 cuz cuz the the good news is we've seen it before so it's not like he can't do it it's right. just hopefully with a better roster and a better offseason uh he can get back to where he was there
0: so, Josh and I did the thing we always do, which in our pre show, we're like, oh, we're going to talk like seven, eight minutes about <laughs> each guy. And we just spent like 15 minutes talking about Luca. Well, I doubt it, we'll do that for our next guy. Yeah. Um, because he's not near as, as, you know, Luca's the, 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 you know, he's the engine. So, of course, we're going to talk about him a lot. So he's interesting. But this next guy um, was someone, you know, the Mavericks uh, picked up Trey Burke. Uh prior to heading into um the bubble last year, and he earned himself a three year contract as part of their mid level exception, it was a nine point four five million dollar contract uh that he signed at the start of last season and he has a a he's basically gonna earn a, a little over three million this year and he has a a trade kicker as well um I think the trade kicker was probably agreed upon by both parties because if the Mavericks ever come across a trade having um you know more more salary can often be a value at this point because despite the average i think the average NBA contract at this point is like $9 million most guys make north of like 15 uh like the most expensive best players are like 15 to 25 or 30 million dollar guys and then there's a whole bunch of people that make like 4 so you just you you need like salaries like that on the roster well in burke's second year he was uh second you know kind of season with the mavericks he played in 62 games he played just under 15 minutes which really feels like a lot in retrospect um he he you know scored about you know a little over six and a half points and was frankly just not good um (laughs) i i don't know you know any other way to to put it uh you know the the it's very frustrating that the Mavericks, you know, opted to give this guy this sort of deal when he just, even before in his previous, you know, seasons um, in the league, he, he wasn't, he, he just, he's a guy. And the Mavericks sort of expected, I, I feel like that he was put in a position to, to, to not to fail, but he was, was just a salary you know, like kind of roster filler following the bubble. And when COVID happened, he played more than he needed to. And then he, you know, was kind of in and out of the rotation at best. He he just, he's a single, you know, he's a single skill guy when it comes to scoring. And if he's not scoring, he doesn't really bring much to the team.
1: Yeah. Um, his assists and turnover numbers are hilarious. Uh, for a guy that when he's on the floor, he usually has the ball in his hands like a lot. Uh, the fact that he played nine hundred and eleven minutes and had thirty three turnovers but also just eighty one assists
0: like <laughs> is just hilarious, like Trey he shot Baird, every time he touched the ball yeah, is, is what he did yeah. yeah
1: it's it's crazy um but Respect. yeah like yeah i <laughs> yeah, don't blame man when you look at his career man i don't I don't blame him you take every shot you can get um but yeah, it's a it's a weird case where he was not good, and he they needed someone in his spot to be semi productive. But you can't get mad at the money necessarily uh, because it's not a lot. And like you said, you kind of need guys with his salary range to, to match to match dollars and cents and trades. Uh, so it's kind of one of those things where it's frustrating because. It, it probably feels more frustrating to us as people that are really intent in watching this. Like people from mm-hmm. the outside probably look at Trey Burke and like, Oh, why do people get mad? Like he's just, he's I mean, he got, he, he got inserted here. into the
0: final or not finals. He got inserted into game seven in the second half when the Mavericks had nothing. Yeah. And it just felt so unfair to him. Mm-hmm. Like,
1: yeah, yeah it, but it's one of those things where the Maverick, like he wouldn't be in the NBA if the Mavericks weren't signing. Like if they, if they didn't sign him before the bubble, I don't think he was going to get picked up by another team because he was free for a while after he let, he got dropped from Philly. And it's hard to imagine anyone else would have really given him that same contract if the Mavericks didn't this last offseason. So it's kind of one of those things where you hope the Mavericks can spin him into gold because we've seen that before. We've seen it with him. Like, I mean, he did it in the bubble. So and you look at his skill set and you think about what Rick Carlisle values in a guard and you're like, all right, maybe. And it just didn't, you know, it worked last season and it just didn't work this season and that's kind of how it goes when you got these end of the roster guys it just feels it probably feels more frustrating to us and the Mavericks fans because he's a familiar face and not someone that Like I said, not someone that you think would be a mainstay in the league if if it weren't for the Mavericks giving him second and third chances.
0: Yeah, he's just kind of the poster child of the fact that the Mavericks free agency, you know, foibles the last several years result in them only being able to sign small single skill guards. Um, Yes. Or like single skill players, really is kind of what it comes down to. But you know he'll be back with the team next year, barring some weird off season trade. And you know he's not a terrible guy to have as a tenth man. The problem is when they've had to bump him up the rotation to anything more than that, and you just see kind of kind of just the limitations of his game. Um, yeah, so that's kind of what it is uh, with uh, with with Trey Burke. Um, the last guy we're going to talk about is is just such a lightning rod. Uh, Maxi Kleba is. You know, playing with the Mavericks yet again. I think he's he's been with the Mavericks his entire career, which is how many I should should have had him pulled up on basketball. Four
1: four seasons. He just completed his fourth
0: season. Fourth season. He's going to be thirty one at some point or thirty. I can't remember how old he is, but he's he's you know he's six ten power forward who is made his his kind of you know bones in the nba as a strong defender who developed a three-point shot and this last season he was you know in in the season prior 2019 2020 he was an absolute iron man he played 74 of 75 games in the 2019-20 season um and they i i think you know the fast turnaround uh paired with COVID paired with, you know, just sort of the fact that the Mavericks have played him a, a lot of minutes, um, it, you know, the, the 25 a game, you know, he's, he's basically averaging just over 25 a game the last two seasons, which for an, un, un, you know, uh, uh, an older undrafted free agent, is there's a reason he wasn't ever drafted to begin with i mean the mavericks have really maximized what they've been able to do with maxi cleva and he he got hurt this year and his achilles and achilles is just something that you don't bounce back from if it's sore it's it's a management injury and once his achilles went he really became a fairly um pedestrian player despite the Mavericks using him to, to do things that were just big asks of him. And he never really played poorly. It's just, he, he, he was asked to do a lot. And in the end, he wasn't really capable of doing as much as the Mavericks asked for. Would Would you think that's fair?
1: I think that's fair, but I would also say he played, he's played poorly in the playoffs two in the years playoffs, in a row, Yeah. You know, and this past year, you Know the Achilles, you know, we can and he's had COVID, so we can maybe give him a pass. But the year before, he was healthy, uh, and he gave them, you know, almost nothing. I know he he guarded Kawhi, but I, I'm tired of giving pats on the back for him guarding Kawhi. And Kawhi averages like 38 points a game on 55 percent shooting on him. So, you know, congratulations! Uh-huh. You you know, you guarded Kawhi, uh, and you've lost in the playoffs, you know, two straight years, and he's gone absolutely ape, ape on you. Yeah. So I mean that's that's harsh because like you said it's not he shouldn't be guarding. I mean, goal, at least this insane. year he hit
0: his threes in the yes, playoffs because but if if you go back to 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 the previous uh, season he was uh, in in the bubble he was five of twenty six against the Clippers. This year he was eight of twenty in seven. But the problem is he he was eight of twenty over seven games. So if, if you're there's no real value in being a sharpshooter if you don't take things at volume.
1: Yeah, I mean he averaged two point nine shots. Three point shots per game in the playoffs. He averaged four shots total. Um, you know, he I mean, consider he was playing like north of 26 minutes a night. That's like his shooting and spacing didn't mean anything because he was basically not taking any shots. And like it's really nice if you're making 40% of your threes, but you're if you're only shooting a couple times a game, the defense does not care. Like they're mm-hmm. not they're not concerned about that. Uh the thing that really concerned me this season, despite his career year from three is his two two stats his two-point attempts uh, decreased dramatically he averaged 2.6 two point attempts uh per game last season he was down to 1.3 two point attempts per game this season i mean he was literally this season regulated to spot up guy and that was it and if if he did not get a spot up shot off he was a liability in the offense and you know when he was making the threes you, he was great but he only average, you know, he's a twenty-seven minute per game starter, averaging seven points per game. Like you just you if you're doing that, you have to be like nearing an all defense NBA team to be considered like a really great starter on a playoff team. And he was not that despite uh his reputation. Um, so that concerns me because when you're lowering the two point attempts, that means he wasn't doing a lot of the rim running that he did the season before. That I think we saw some spurts. After Powell went down, we were like, oh, maybe he's got something and he can be a little bit more versatile in his shot diet as opposed to just taking whatever spot up threes Luka can can spoon feed him. That kind of went away. And then the big one to me is his block rate went down again. Uh, career low 2.4% block rate. Season before was 3.8%. 2018 2019 it was 44 Um and then rookie season was 3.5, so he, he, he's he been, since 2018, he's been declining with his blocks, uh, which I know it's not the say-all end-all, but I think it's a good indicator that he's lost a little something on the defensive end in terms of being able to make game-changing kind of plays he still did what the team asked him to. And I think part of that decreased block rate is because they asked him to guard more wings than ever before this season. So he's away from the rim more. So naturally he's not going to be a shot blocker, but I think even when he was positioned to guard the rim, it just, he did not, it did not feel as impactful as it was his first two seasons in the league. Uh Uh, And I really feel like he, and you know, part of it could be COVID, part of it could be uh, the Achilles, but you know, for whatever reason, just. His defense has not, from the rookie and sophomore seasons where we really thought he could be like a top 20, 25 defender in the league, uh, the, these last two seasons I feel like have just been really tremendously disappointing. And I, I don't see his defense being at a level that can overcompensate for the fact that he is a very one dimensional offensive player.
0: He was very, the, the game that kind of comes to mind last season was how well he was able to sort of contain Zion Williamson, who I know mm-hmm. became a different player last year. But Zion was still a force of nature his rookie year when he was playing. And Maxi, if not, like Stonewall's not really fair, but basically held the tide. And he could not do that this year. Um, This is, it's sort of unfair because I feel like if he was the fourth big in the rotation instead of like, essentially the second he would be an ideal player uh but as usual with the rest of the maverick rotation he's asked to do a lot over time and inevitably not inevitably but they put him in a position to not succeed just often enough to where it caught up with him it's sort of how i feel
1: yeah and i don't think it's a surprise that the two seasons we've seen him decline defensively are the two seasons he's played by far the most basketball Mm-hmm. Um, you know his first his rookie year he was you know that fun springing unknown guy who's playing about seventeen minutes off the bench. Year before that, the twenty eighteen twenty nineteen year, he was back up to DeAndre Jordan playing twenty minutes, and I'm sure uh with the DeAndre Jordan goggles, we we're like, oh my god, look at this guy because DeAndre wasn't you know he had the stone feet and just did not guard the rim, and then you know Maxie would come off the bench and he'd be flying around chasing guys at the three point line, blocking shots at the rim, and he he probably look like a revelation Uh, and then these last two seasons you know he's been a big you know he's either been you know he started 21 games out of 74 last season so not a full-time starter but you know 25 minutes a game 27 minutes a game you know he's been counted on to be like a top six guy in the in the rotation I would say top six or seven and ideally you'd probably like him to be you know your backup big Uh, and I think maybe with less minutes he could be more productive uh, but we'll see. I, I think he's, you know, we'll talk about this probably with other guys. But you know, when you look at the Maverick starting lineup, he's one spot where you go, okay, they really need to get an upgrade, not to say Maxi doesn't deserve to be on the team, right? but just push him down a rung uh, on, on the rotation. So Uh, I think we're both in in alignment there, but yeah, I think kind of a rough season for him, despite some of the, some of the career high shooting numbers. Right. It It
0: was, it was like, it started off very well and then was just a season of attrition despite mm -hmm. how his shooting worked. And you know, the Achilles thing, I just, maybe he'll look better next year with an Achilles, but I just, I can't shake the fact that if, if you're, if you're on the wrong side of 30 as an undrafted guy, there's only so much juice that you have, and I think that you know uh, us who are Mavs fans we've really bought you know we've really kind of misunderstood the fact that Dirk was a supreme level athlete who played well into his late thirties, and then you watch a guy like Chris Paul and blah 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 and and these guys are outliers, they are not the norm they are the exception they're and, also and, that's
1: also why they get paid thirty five million dollars a year
0: correct, and it's why they <laughs> get drafted so high, and it's like. <laughs> You know, the the Mavericks finding Diamond in the roughs, like both Maxie and Dorian Finney-Smith, who we'll get to in a later episode, is is to be credited, but it is also just at a certain point, it's just not fair to these guys to assume that, ah, this is who they're going to be, they're going to keep projecting upwards, and our fans really like to do that, but, you know, this, if at his salary, he's going to be making just under nine million. It might be the wise thing for him to go ahead and and you know figure something else. You know, the Mavericks might might need to figure something else out with him. You know they they this this new front office has a lot of options. Wouldn't shock me if if two of the three guys we talked about tonight aren't on the roster next year. You know.
1: Yeah, and when you have the results they've had in the last two playoffs, you haven't won a first round series. In ten years, uh, I mean that's normal. Change is normal. Like it, when you get the results that you get, it is not crazy to to have things change both on the floor and, and in the back office. I think a lot of the the shock and the shock and uh, you know the alarmist nature of of what's happened lately, I think, is because the Mavericks just have this inertia where they just nothing changes. Uh, mm-hmm. So. This is normal. Like normal NBA teams go through ups and downs. And when it's down, it's like, hey, we got to figure something else out. We got to do something different. So it's not a knock against these guys individually. It's just, hey, these are the results and they got to get better.
0: Yes. Well, all right. So As usual, you and I enjoy talking to one another. So we made what was supposed to be a 20 to 25 minute episode, a 30 plus minute episode. That's great. I don't think anybody will care because it's the off season and we're all kind of starving (laughs) for content. Um, With that in mind, probably what will happen is I'm going to host a locker room tomorrow night, I think. And then, you know, Josh and I might reconvene a little later in the week for another episode. Uh, This has been fun, though, Josh. We're going to talk about who did I say we were going to talk about? Um, probably coming up later in the week, we're gonna chat about uh, Porzingis, Powell, and and then rookie Josh Green. Um, and that's that's if you know, be thinking about that guys. Anything you want to point out to me about their seasons? Lord knows, uh, y- y'all Josh Josh Green believers are a incredibly special crowd. I appreciate uh, the passion and the insanity that comes with rooting for a second year player who didn't play that much. Um, but yeah, Josh, you got anything else before we get out of here? No, I've talked enough. Let's go. All right, guys, this has been Kirk Henderson and Josh Bow with Mavs and Moneyball After Dark. Be sure to keep coming to the site and subscribe, rate, review, all that great stuff. It's been very.